This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life. Only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I have the privilege to interview Katie Hoff. Katie, how you doing? I'm great, Brett. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Thanks for being with us. You are coming to us from uh, New York, and uh, I'm coming to you from St. Louis, basically. We're both kind of lying. You're in New York, but New Jersey. I'm in St. Louis, but in Illinois. But yeah. we, we all get it. It makes sense, <laughs> right? Um, well, good. It's so, it's so awesome to be with you. For those listeners that may not know who Katie is, she is a two-time Olympian, uh, three-time Olympic medalist, eight-time world champion, uh, which is a big, big deal, all those, and then a, an author. Uh, the book <laughs> Blueprint comes out on Black Friday this year. You've been getting it on Amazon and probably all the other major places. But uh, So it's great to have you with us. So uh, thanks so much for your time. Oh my gosh, of course. Yeah, when you reached out to me, I was excited. Um, you've definitely, I feel honored to be in the group of all your uh, guests. So, well, thank you very yeah. much. Thank you very much. So, one of the listeners that may not know the backstory to who Katie Hoff is, what, what kind of, uh, I was like to say, what's made you the woman you are today? I know that's a big open question, but if you could kind of boil that down to some things for us. Yeah, I would say, you know, a couple things. So relentless is the first thing that comes to mind. I think, you know, as a swimmer, an athlete, a person to get to where I, you know, am today to feel like I'm extraordinary and accomplishing, you know, great things. I've had to be relentless because I've, like anyone, there's ups and downs and obstacles. And that's definitely, there's been a lot of those in my career, as high as the highs have been, the lows have been equally as low. And um, I think that's, that's really what's allowed me to keep getting back up every time I'm, I'm hit with something. Um, and I think the other big thing about me that I've learned over the years is I'm pretty good at embracing the suck um, just through, through the process of, you know, thousands and thousands of meters staring at a black line to the transition from retiring as a professional athlete and, and moving into kind of my swammer normal person years. Sure. Uh, definitely, definitely had to embrace, you know, and trust the process. Yeah. So I think that is, it's amazing to think about when you say embrace the suck. I mean, I'm a amateur below an amateur below an amateur of a swimmer, but to your point, like I've done a few triathlons and you, you swim in that stuff and you see this thing going back and forth, right. <laughs> when you're training. And so, I mean, what, what was that like? I mean, you, obviously you didn't really know much better. It seemed to me like in my research, you swam pretty much your whole life. And mm-hmm. I want to talk about a letter you wrote when you were 12 years old to yourself and, and, and all that stuff. So what was that like though on days you didn't want to go look at that black line? How did you battle through it and, and get in that pool anyway? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's funny when I when I look back at the different stages in my career, you know, when I was younger, probably ages 10 to 15, 16, 
it didn't ever feel like a choice. It was like you said, it was just something that I just always did and getting yep. in and doing 10,000 meters and coming back later on a Saturday and swimming on Sunday. That just was the norm. That's just what I did. And I look back on it. I'm like, that was crazy. <laughs> um, and then I think as you, be, you became more of an adult and, you know, matured and, and understood what was in front of me, it was really defining and understanding my why defining my goals. And then it was like, well, you know, the, if the goal outweighs the obstacle, I'm just going to do it. Whether it sucks, whether I'm tired, whether I want to give up. And there were, I'm not going to lie. There were tons of times throughout my career where I thought I was going to quit or, you know, I just felt like I couldn't keep going or sure. I didn't want to get up when the alarm went off. But it, it almost was like this unseen force that kept pulling me back up, even when I didn't think I could again, because the goal of feeling extraordinary, accomplishing great things, you know, racing to try to be the best in the world, really just outweighed anything that was kind of in front of me that was going to be a challenge. And did you think your purpose, obviously that's what drove you, right? But did your purpose, did that come from within at an early, early age? Or is that something you, as you were growing and becoming better, probably as a, you know, like you said, 10 year old, 12 year old, I think you were what, 15 when you had your first world championship or for actually the Olympics, right? The Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. 15 years old sped up really fast. I mean, I think, you know, there's a, a <clears throat> very short period of time when I can remember, you know, five or six where I kind of didn't really catch the competitive obsessive bug quite yet. You know, yep. I remember doing lunges by my coach and the coach would turn their back and I would do like a little jog to try to get like out of doing lunges. <laughs> and then it was something that went off in my head probably about nine years old where I'd say I discovered this deep down gear where we were racing in practice and something went off in my head where I just was not okay with losing and figured out how to kind of find this extra gear with my stroke. And mm -hmm. from that point on, I was, I mean, obsessive with wow. doing everything perfectly. And that was all internal. That was not, I was, I feel like I was very fortunate to have parents who just let me be in the driver's seat and just supported me. And I also had coaches who at that point, nine and 10 were like, just go have fun, go race. There was no external pressure. And I think that just allowed me to take charge of it and have ownership and just go hundred miles per hour and, and never look back. Yeah. I think that's amazing too, is that, uh, and I think it's a big deal, your parents. I'm glad you said that because for them, obviously the support and the driving around and the money and all the stuff it takes to be an athlete, right. Yeah. Uh, is yeah. a pretty big deal. And so, but I think to go to the level you went to, right. To get to the Olympics, I mean, just getting there is one thing, but then being successful and getting the medals and doing all the stuff you did. I mean, the, the day to day, commitment, I think is what's impressive to me. Right. And so when I see people in the business world today, whether it's a business idea or a business meeting, it's just your commitment to excellence. Right. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think I, I very much agree with you. I think when people ask me, you know, how do you make an Olympic team? How do you be successful? How do you be successful at anything in life? It comes down to consistency. You know, I would yeah. watch people really put in all the effort for one week and then fall off another week. And that just, I feel like destroys your momentum. It destroys everything that you've been working for. And again, I think it's just being able to define and lock in 
why are you doing this? And it can't just be, I think sometimes people are like, yeah, my why, my goal, like it gets thrown around a lot. Right. And I think it's, it can't be like, Oh, I would like to accomplish it. It has to be like, I need to accomplish this just as much as I need air as I need food. Like it has to be that intense. And I think it's, you know, and then I would say, and equally, like if you don't have that, why burning deep desired, why you have to go after finding it, just as hard. So I say that because I stopped swimming and then it was like, okay, well now what, you know, what, what am I going for? How do I, who am I? Who am I? How do I be consistent in this, you know, day to day pursuit? Because if you don't have that, you will give up. You will not be consistent because it doesn't matter enough. Um, And so I think, you know, for, for really anyone in any endeavor, they've got to be able to define that or, switch endeavors or change right. something or it's it's probably the hardest thing to find but once you find it i feel like it's not easy but everything falls into place Easier. For yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and i think i've always said too the why if, if you find your why in my opinion uh, everybody's different but i'd like to have you know seven ten fifteen reasons why that's my why right yes. because then when reason number one I don't really feel like it today, right? Then you're like, oh, but how about reason two or reason three or reason four, right? And so, would you agree with that? Was it, I mean, was it about the gold medal or or just going to the Olympics? What was it about? You know, it's funny. I think after, I, I figured that out a lot better when I was removed from the sport. I think in the sport, the times that I struggled was when I wasn't winning or I wasn't winning Olympic medals or I felt like I was having a down year and I really struggled because my identity was so wrapped up because I started at so young in Katie Hoff, the Olympic swimmer, Katie Hoff, the Olympic medalist. And if I wasn't doing those things, I was lost and I felt like I had no self-confidence and I, I couldn't push in the way that I, I normally did. And I think the biggest thing I realized was swimming was not, it's just a vehicle. It's not what the reason why I was getting up, the reason why I was pushing, the reason why I had such a work ethic was the feeling that I got doing something and feeling extraordinary. And now that's kind of what I've been able to get here five years later after I retired. I'm like, okay, that's what my why. I want to feel extraordinary and feeling extraordinary is feeling like I'm making um, an impact positively. I'm inspiring people. Um, You know, I stand out in some way and that's my why. And there's tons of things under that, like you mentioned, but again, it takes a lot of work to get to that point um, in anything you're doing. Yeah, I think it's amazing too. Is I mean, you look at that, that you talk about the why and the how and all that kind of stuff, but on the bad days, right? The days where, because uh, yeah, I don't have people follow me around like camera people and you're on TV and all this stuff. And so, when you have a failure, when you're doing the things at the level you were doing, they're much more exposed than say if I have a failure, right? So, how did you deal with that emotionally? So, and again, I'm thinking of the person listening to this right now, they're exercising, they're driving in their car, whatever they're doing. And they're like, gosh, Katie, you don't understand. I had this bad thing happen at work. Well, it's not on the magnitude of like ESPN, right? But it's, it's, but it's a big deal in their world. And so how did you overcome that? How did you deal with it? How'd you fight through it? Yeah, that's that's actually a question I love the most and the subject I love talking about the most because it's way more like, you know, it's way more relatable and it happened to me a lot more than I would say the successes. I think, you know, to get to a big success, you have to have a ton of failures. I think number one is just 
kind of embracing it and grieving. I think the worst thing you can do is obviously, you know, not in a very public setting or complaining or anything like that, but, but surround yourself with your trust tree, surround yourself with your, you know, your mentors, your family, people who understand you and grieve. Like if you don't allow yourself to feel, then it's just going to get pushed down and it's going to manifest itself in a really negative way later on. So for me, I felt like I was always in a really great spot where I was allowed to do that and feel and go through it. And then it was like, okay, now you've done that, push it aside, learn from it and, and move forward. And again, constantly analyzing and redefining, okay, like, why am I doing this? Like you have to keep I feel like my why and all those reasons underneath changed throughout my 10 year career and changed now into my life as yeah. a, you know, a speaker and an author. And I think that's a lot of times when people fail, they don't do those things. And so things get all intertwined and mixed up and, and they lose sight of that, you know, that top of the mountain um, for them. And maybe you move mountaintops sometimes because that yeah. mountain's not the right mountain, but yeah. you've got to keep redefining it. Yeah, because you certainly can start to walk up the wrong mountain, right? And be like, oh, I got to turn back and go around, right? <laughs> go to a yeah, different mountain, like absolutely. you said. So. Yeah, but I think, I mean, people surrounding you, the right people surrounding you, I think makes everything better. I, I think that's the, I could credit so many coaches, um, my husband, my family for really allowing me in those times where I was just at rock bottom of, of helping me understand like, Hey, you know, here's your identity, you're loved uh, no matter what. And I think even in the business world, like I mean, you spend 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week doing this one thing. And it's so easy to be in this bubble and lose sight of all the other things that are great in this world, even yep. if you mess up on a project or, you know, you don't get the promotion or, or it's those things that are so important to you in that moment. Yep. So talk about that to the person again, they were at the top of their mountain, right? And maybe with this COVID coronavirus stuff, their mountain got kind of demolished for them, right? Yeah. Without their choice. And it just, it just happened to them. So when, when you uh, unfortunately got news that you had to retire, right? And so in my research, I'm going to butcher the, the, the name, but you, you had enough, and with lungs of all things, right? Yeah, I think I you kind of you need, need your lungs. Don't need those in swimming, it's fine. What's that? <laughs> I say you don't need those in swimming, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. I don't need those. I don't need those at all. Yeah, so you know, again, your, your COVID, if you will, was a lung disease in a sport where you obviously need your lungs. And, and so that just happens pretty quickly, I would assume. So how do you, what's that process like? Did you go with a journal off into the, you know, the woods somewhere and dream and strategize about what the next step is or what advice would you have for them? Yeah, it's funny. I have compared that a lot of, right. Like so many, so many business owners, so many professionals did nothing wrong. They could have been absolutely crushing right. it. You know, <clears throat> COVID happens and it's out of your control. Similarly, I got a pulmonary embolism really all the biggest injury I've had, I ever had in swimming. I was very fortunate. I never had any of the normal type of injuries. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think for me, it was, I actually, the advice I would give is to not do what I did. I think I suppressed feelings longer than I should have. Like I, I mm. grieved and then I just kept suppressing. And I think the pain of, you know, not being able to end my career on my own terms took a few yeah. years for me to get through. So if I had to give advice, you know, for someone who's going through it now, it's like, yes, grieve, be upset, be pissed off, be angry, let all those emotions come out. And then, you know, 
sit down with someone, mentors, and figure out a list of 10 things that you can control to get you back on track. And, and maybe there are little wins of the day of like just the smallest thing, but it makes you feel like you're taking just that little step towards getting back up on the top of the mountain. Yep. And I, I wish that I had done that a little bit better now that I'm looking back because I wouldn't, I'd be having conversations like this maybe two years ago instead sure. of five years removed from my career. Right. And I think you'll probably agree with this then. I call that the bounce back theory. And, and so the most successful people, whether it's people I've been blessed to work with throughout the years, if it's people through this podcast the last number of years or just any professionals in my life, the ones that get bounce back quicker, right? You get negative news and some people can go in their room and cry about it. And, you know, I, I'm joking about the, but really, right? You go in your room yeah. and kind of play. I'm a pessimist. The world's coming to an end. It's never going to work for me. Poor me. Right. And then you have the people that like, like snap of a fingers, bad news. Mm, that sucks. I don't like it. I got to deal with it. And then they move on. Right. Yeah. They move back quicker. Absolutely. So I think to your point, I mean, to the people listening that may be struggling with something is deal with it. Like you said, like you said, but then, but you got to move on. Right. And yeah. then find that team and embrace that team. So thoughts on that? Yeah, exactly. I think, um, again, like I, I think being able to, like, I'm, I think being able to understand how you operate, like for me, it's talking to multiple different people before I can feel like I'm in back in my logical mode. So I go to the emotion first. I know that about myself. I do that. And then it's like, okay, let, let's talk it out. Let's figure out what I like to do and, and almost anticipate too, you know, that, this new path, whatever it may be from, you know, being knocked down, you may hit some failures. I think anticipating that also helps. So anticipating that, okay, maybe like if I'm trying this, here are the potential outcomes and being, yeah. you know, braced for it and prepared for it. You know, I know I'm so much, I'm such a planner. I do really well when I, I know something's coming my way. So um, getting to that point where you understand yourself to know what works for you. Yep. Sometimes people, it's journaling. Sometimes it's, you know, listening to a bunch of podcasts. Sometimes, right. it, you know, it, what, what is that thing that helps you bounce back because each person is different, um, I think is, is a big, big uh, strength to have. So what have you learned now about yourself that you can share that is about your passions today, right? You're, obviously, you're this top of the world in the, in the Olympic world, and now you're here in this new world, and you're going to climb and be right at the top, already getting to, towards the top, right? That speaking world, author world, going to be a best-selling book. All these things are going to happen, right? What, what have you found about your passions today? Yeah, I think I found a couple things. I think I found that I'm really good at being just authentically vulnerable. And I think that that's, you know, when I think about wanting to feel that extraordinary feeling and wanting to impact others positively, I think that's a big strength of mine. And I, I guess strength that I had to redevelop because I, I was closed off for so long and didn't kind of let those emotions in. So that's something that I'm excited to be able to share my story very authentically, very vulnerably to audiences, um, as well as my book. My book is very vulnerable. I, I tell all. Um, and so I think for me, that's, that's something that I'm really embracing right now. And then um, kind of coming back to my swimming roots and, you know, the company that my husband and I started, it's called Synergy Dryland. And it's a program that helps, again, 
swimmers right now and into future control what they can control, which is to get strong on land, body weight movements, um, mm. and just making sure that they feel as prepared and as strong as possible, no matter what the circumstance. I love that. I love that. And authentically vulnerable. I wrote that down. And so talk to us about that. What, what's an example from the book, if you can share without giving too much away, so people will buy the book. But what, what's something that's vulnerable? Because I think to me, vulnerability leads to better relationships, right? Leads to different, uh, deeper connections, whether that's at work or at home. And if we keep it all in, it's harder to, to have that relationship. So can you share anything with, on that front? Yeah, I think uh, two things. So in 2008, you know, I was, they kind of pick, you know, a male and a female to, to really highlight. And my year in 2008 just happened to be when that guy, Michael Phelps was trying to win eight gold medals. And yeah, I've heard of I, him. Yep. <laughs> and because I swam five events and I would swam a lot of different events and we were from the same home club and like so many comparisons were made, which yeah. was a huge honor. But, you know, the, the limelight and the comparisons were, I felt, in my opinion, a bit unfair. I wasn't trying to win the equal medals. Sure. And so the way that my Olympic Games was framed was very much as a failure, even though, you know, as you, as you said at the start of this, like three Olympic medals, that's right. amazing. That's not the feeling I felt and that's not the feeling that Ugh. was framed. And so I really get into kind of like for the first time, you know, how that felt and, you know, what that put me through and, um, you know, what it feels like, again, to feel like you hit rock bottom and then what do you do to get back up? Sure. Um, and so I talk a lot about that, which was, was really painful, but, but really happy that I did. And then really do dove super deep into the transition, which I think, you know, retiring from something that you've done for yeah. 20 years of your life, which I think, you know, people in business too, right? You switch careers, you retire, just in general, okay, now who are you? And I really, really um, made sure that I did a good job of just explaining everything that I felt and the good, the bad, and the ugly and, and how I kind of got back up and, and reached where I am today, which is still a work in progress. But I think that's something really important. I don't know if you were able to see the Weight of Gold uh, documentary. Um, was not, no. So Michael actually directed it, okay. uh, Michael Phelps, it's on HBO and it just highlights that it just highlights the, you know, the post Olympic blues and, and what it feels like to be at the top of something and then just feel like the, you know, the ground comes out from under you. And it's always kind of this taboo subject of, well, as an athlete, you're supposed to be tough. You're supposed sure. to be fine. You don't talk about, I think in general society, that mental side or that you went and saw a psychologist like that. Is it still not super mainstream and super normal? Right. Absolutely. Be, oh, something's wrong with you. If you have to go to psychologist, right. like, no, like that's just, right. you need a coach for everything else in your life. Yeah. You definitely need a coach for your brain. Yeah, right right here is the most important one probably. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I just really, it felt really good to be able to share that side of what I was going through that people probably suspected, but you know, really only my husband and you know, my family knew I was going sure. through it. And so I wanted people who were, either going to be in my kind of shoes or feeling like they were the only one. I didn't want them to feel alone. So. Well, thank you for that perspective because that, that's exactly the way I look at it right now is perspective. So I get on here today thinking, holy smokes, you know, eight, uh, eight, what was it? Eight world championships, three-time Olympic medalist. But then yet to your point, right, the perspective was shifted and it made you feel like, well, 
and I'm not putting words in your mouth, but maybe that three was a failure because I was supposed to do X, right? Mm-hmm. I was supposed to be the Michelle Phelps, if you will, right? Yeah. Versus <laughs> Michael Phelps. And so yeah. that's amazing to me because I think that you're right. And I think when we hit success in the business world or the Olympics, the most susceptible we are to failure is right after that success, right? You let your guard down, don't you think? I think a little bit, yeah. I mean, I think... It's also even so even if I like athletes that go like say I had won eight gold medals like you still have like Michael experienced it he won eight gold medals the most decorated Olympian all time and he's still feeling like now what you know there's that yeah. build up and then it's like you just killed yourself and now what and when you're also so darn young right it's not like yeah. you're ending your career and it's like you know you're 65 or whatever like you would retire yeah I mean, I mean I don't know how old Michael Phelps is but he's not very old. No. Yeah. I mean, he's, so he's usually, uh, right off four years. So he's, he's 35 now. Um, oh, but, but in, oh, 2008, you know, I had just turned 19 and, um, you know, to, to go and put, I mean, you're putting your blood, sweat, tears, like everything in really? hours on end. you're, I mean, you're taking this huge risk cause you're putting all your eggs in one basket. And then when it doesn't go well, uh, to your expectations, even though I felt like I still, had some good swims and, you know, I broke an American record and ended up not being a medal. Um, that's just how competitive it was. And so again, like it has taken me a really long time to, um, feel proud of my medals, to feel proud of those performances. And I think that was the the hardest part of like, yeah, I'm still 19. My career is not over, but how the heck do I, you know, pick myself back up again? Um, and kind of going back to what we were talking about, it, it didn't really feel like an option. It's like, well, yeah, I'm going to pick myself back up because I have to, because this is my world and my goal and, and all yeah. those things. So. Well, it's funny. And I, I know you know this name, but Jackie joyner Kersey. So I'm, I'm friends with Jackie joyner Kersey, and she's just phenomenal. She's here in St. Louis. And, but it's, it's amazing though, that impact, because what you did at a young age, what she did at a young age, um, the impact will continue forever right? If you choose to let it continue because not everybody can do what you've done. And so I think, you know, with this book, with you, your, you and your husband's business, I mean, that's where the impact is at. So when, when you hear that word impact or future greater than your past, even though your past was great, how does that future become better than your past? It feels really good and really validating, I think is the best word I can say, because you know, everything, someone said this one time, it was just in terms of like the aha moment of when you maybe don't reach the pinnacle, like I didn't right. win a gold medal, which was my ultimate goal. I did a lot of other things, but the qualities and the skill sets that I developed of chasing that ultimate goal is now helping me so much and coming back tenfold in my life now. And it took me I mean, it took me forever, not forever, but it felt like forever to figure that out of, wow, like I have these, these skills and these instincts that I could have never developed if I didn't go through this whirlwind of ups and downs in my career. And now that, you know, kind of the world feels like it's opening up once I realize that it's just like, it's very, it's a very overwhelming and definitely like some emotional times where I just feel this feeling of relief and validation of, wow, like I went through all that work and it right. still means something. And now it's carrying through to mean even more than I ever thought. 
Was that helpful that your husband is a former Michigan State football player, played in the NFL, uh, played here in St. Louis, and probably, yeah. I don't know if he played anywhere else, but uh, here in St. Louis. So, d- does that help? I mean, does it help that you guys can sit back maybe on the on the balcony and have a glass of wine and say, remember, the, remember those days, right? Yes, yes. Um, well, definitely on the wine because we're both love wine. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, he... Even if I, we don't talk about the old days, we'll just drink <laughs> wine, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he, I am so fortunate to have, I met him in 2012. And so he kind of got to see actually, like I made my comeback before I had my pulmonary embolism, but he kind of got to see a little bit of a, you know, look at my sport. I got to see a look at his sport and he, his, I mean, his mindset is so similar, right? Just at that elite relentless go after it at all costs and so being able to have him by my side and being able to feel comfortable to open up and be vulnerable and cry to him and and talk everything out was huge and I think you know not everyone understands that and so having you know your partner in life and your partner in crime be that person was something I mean is something I'm so grateful very lucky very lucky. Yeah. So, um, what, what can you tell, what'd you learn? You said you were in the same swim team, I guess, as Michael Phelps. So what, what'd you learn from watching Michael? I mean, obviously everybody around the world watched him and, and there's so many things you can take away, but what did you specifically you think learn from him? So we were on the same, cl- like the same club, but we kind of had this like party, like he, we had one year at the same time because he okay. was swimming at Michigan. Um, but I knew, I mean, I've known Michael since I was 14 years old and okay. you know, we obviously saw him on the national team. I think the biggest thing I always tell people is just Michael's ability to just keep driving at this high, high intensity. Like I think you see this in people like Tiger Woods, LeBron James, you know, Lance Armstrong, regardless of your opinion of other outside factors, but there's this extra, I mean, this extra, extra level that's, I don't think people can even comprehend, but some of the stuff that he would do in workouts and then his just ability to, do what he did in Beijing. I mean, I had a very similar schedule, so I can tell you firsthand sure. just how hard it is to get up and be that laser focused for eight days, nine days straight. Um, it, it, it's truly remarkable. So yeah. I think that that's his biggest, you know, weapon is yes. Like, you know, you can talk about the dimensions of his arms yeah. and all that stuff, but I think, you know, that mental piece from him is, is one of the biggest thing that sets him apart. Yeah. And that's really for all of us. Right. And, and I think, you know, you, you said something some of those names and, and uh, you know, they've done amazing things. I'm reading this book right now. It's called halftime. Um, and so uh, you're probably too young to read it still, but you know, they recommend I'm 40, uh, 42 years old. And so it talks about your, you know, being basically around halftime in my life, especially my work life, right. Mm-hmm. To where what's that, next thing. So it talks about from success to significance and you, you know, yeah. And it's, it's been, it's very thought provoking, but you also, he talks about in this book, these huge names that have this huge success and then, and we're not going to dive into this stuff. So don't worry, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but you see some of the personal things, right. That happen in their lives, right. Some of the choices that are being made. Yeah. And I think that, and we're all could be guilty of it again. Maybe our choices aren't on ESPN again, like we would talk about, but but how did you overcome that to where you don't go to those choices, right? What grounded you in that, in that level? I think it's a great question. I've actually never been asked that. Um, I mean, I, I def, like you said, I definitely wasn't perfect. I think when I look back, I just flung myself into a new, like I started at an entry level job 
And I was like, I'm going to redefine myself as a corporate, you know, salesperson. And I thought that was the right thing to do. You know, maybe it was, I definitely had, I feel like probably my coworkers thought I was crazy sometimes because I was, <laughs> you know, overly sensitive and, and certain things would trigger me because I still hadn't processed everything and I didn't feel normal. I didn't feel right. In Did they embrace I- you as normal? Like the, or were they more of like, oh, she's an Olympic athlete. So of course she's different. No, I mean, yeah, I think, I think my, cause I, I basically, I went to sales and I carried over all of like my obsessive qualities. I just yep. like went over. So, yeah. I mean, I would, I was just, I was good at it because that's what right. sales people need to be like relentless, aggressive. Like, um, but I think that it, it, it was a blessing and a curse in that way. Like I was just like, okay, well I need to be good at something else. And I was so obsessed with that, that I just, started over. Um, but on the other coin, I, it then took me longer to kind of come to terms with things, but I didn't really allow myself time to act out or kind of go into that, that, I guess those weird choices that, yeah. that would be if you're idle, right? Like I, yeah. I wasn't ever idle to go down that path. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's my personality is I'm, I just constantly feel like I need to be I, I wanted to redefine what yeah, extraordinary man. was yeah. and I just searched for it down multiple different paths before I found it again. Did you put a lot of fears in your mind? And I'll, and I'll ask the follow-up question, but I want to ask that one first, but did you put a lot of fears as you were going through this Olympic, you know, kind of the trials and all the things to get there? Did you put fears in your mind? Um, I think as, as things started progressing, you know, I made the decision to go professional at 16 and I've always got to ask a lot of like, did that create fear, extra pressure? And the answer is no for that one, because I was already so intense with what I was doing that I put enough, I was like, I, no one can put more pressure on me than yourself, me. Yeah. So having, you know, it just excited me that, you know, what I was doing, I was able to you know, earn, you know, earn money for my future and set up my future. And and that was exciting for me. Um, in terms of heading into 2000, I mean, 2004 at the age of 15, making the team and then suddenly having the expectations of winning medals that, that definitely created a little bit of fear in terms of more confidence in my abilities. And then in 2008, it was not as much Fear, just feeling overwhelmed, I think was more of just the schedule. Like the schedule was really big. I had just done it at trials and it just, I just kept the pressure that I was putting on myself and then outside pressures just kept mounting. So it felt like I had like a piano on my back. But in terms of fear, I don't feel like it was ever fear because I had the confidence in my, I feel like anytime someone's fearful, they don't have confidence in their own mm. abilities. I love that. I love that. Cause my follow-up question always I've asked everybody just about is how many of the fears though you did put in your mind actually blew up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I would say if I had to think of a nightmare situation is going to your first Olympics and throwing up all over the pool deck in front of millions of people that actually happens. So Literally. Yeah. I didn't, hey, good news is I did not see that, Katie, in all my Great. research. <laughs> it was the first image for like three years after 2004, but it's finally faded into a movie. <laughs> but my parents tried to, it was like me literally. Right. Like, how big is the check? How big can I get rid of this thing, right? Yeah. 
And um, yeah, I mean, I, I was basically, I, again, I didn't have that confidence. Uh, I, I was really nervous at the trial six weeks prior. So I took it out too fast. So I was sitting in the ready room in Athens, Greece, never been out of the country before, never been on the national team, just turned 15. I looked like I was 12, like a very like young, naive 15 and was just so freaked out that I was going to do the same thing again. Um, and I did the same thing again. And it was so painful and I was in such oxygen, oxygen deprivation that I physically got ill yeah. all over the pool deck. First event, first day, cameras surrounded me, pictures everywhere. Um, so that was my <laughs> Olympic <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> right. Welcome to the big show. Right. Yeah. So well, as a fellow was- puker, I was a guy that did the same thing back in the day. I used to, whether it was in sports and junior high, high school, I mean, I get so nervous and I didn't realize it was an oxygen thing, but I would get sick as well. And I think that, you know, what I hear from that is you felt the fear, right? Literally got sick. Yeah. But you did what? You did it anyway. Right. And yeah, so well, I, battled through after it. the race. This is after, oh, it's after. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I, I definitely, when I was younger, I'd get that look, the nerves. Right. But this yeah. was actually physically from like lactic acid buildup. Got it. So intense that I was in so much pain that I threw up everywhere. Um, but then I saw another event two days later. So yeah. to your point, I just Battle. had to kind of get back up and figure it out and, and deal with it anyways. Yeah. And I made, I ended up making the finals in that second event. I didn't medal, but I still was able to kind of get experience yeah. in Olympic final um, swimming in front of the TV so that, you know, in 2008, I was that much more ready and experienced. So I'm a big fan and follower of Jesse Itzler. And I know that you and your hubby got to go see Jesse Itzler and his wife. She's semi-successful. Uh, Sarah, yeah. Sarah Blakely, <laughs> for those that don't know Jesse Itzler, Sarah Blakely, she uh, founded, started Spanx. Unbelievable story, both of them. Both of them are uber successful in their own rights. And then they the come together. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. And, and you guys get to go spend the day with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just really crazy how it all happened. I mean, I've been a fan for similarly for a really long time. My husband um, works at, or worked at Equinox. And so he got to see Jesse speak at actually one of Equinox's okay. forums. And that was at like probably four years ago. And I had a very, I, I've been working on my corporate speeches. And so we had a similar uh, uh, speaking coach from January. And yeah. I just was kind of in this mode of like this fearless mode where I was just like, you know, I'm going to just reach out to people that I really admire right. and just ask them if they have a couple minutes to maybe give me a couple points of wisdom. I've got my book coming out. I'm trying to speak. And Jesse responded within six hours, like, that yeah. and um yeah so i he he and i facetimed we talked a little bit and then i found out he was doing this ultrathon and i was like well obviously i'll give you a swim lesson in return and he was just like come out we're in connecticut we're like an hour and a half away and um just ended up having just an awesome day awesome wow. conversation just felt i mean honestly like take away strip away anything that they've done business like any of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. they're just the most kind down to earth people that just my husband and I left and we were like we just want to be better people after being <laughs> right. on them. like the way, them. Kids, <laughs> the way that their kids interacted with us yeah. we were just like 
you can do it all. You can have kids, you can run businesses. It just, I mean, just so inspired. Yeah. Well, he makes me think a lot at night when I'm, you know, with four kids and I'm busy and it's been a crazy day and you know, you're kind of exhausted and he's like, you know, he always talks about never too tired for my kids. Yeah. You know, and it's like those messages are, he's just, he's very, very powerful. Very powerful. I did the build your life resume thing with them. I guess it was last year. Okay. Uh, sometimes that so was pretty cool. So, um, well, this has been awesome. And so your book, tell us a little bit about it. We said blueprint comes out black Friday of this year, 2020. And, uh, obviously you have a lot of inspiration to write that from your own story, but tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah. So I would say definitely, you know, categorize it as a memoir. So it's blueprint Olympian story of striving, adapting and embracing the suck. And so, yeah, I, I definitely kind of go into like the normal, you know, defining what I was like as a kid, my obsessive qualities, fighting with my grandma on a badminton court at 11 because we weren't winning. <laughs> I mean, I go into just how competitive and annoying I was as a little yeah. kid and then I really, in part one of the book, I, I really go through, again, like the ups and downs of 2004 throwing up on the pool deck. How did I get to the eight world championship titles to 2008? And then, um, you know, part two is a lot of kind of getting back up again and how I, how I transitioned. You know, I'm actually very happy that I waited to write it because I, if I just stopped when my career was done, I wouldn't have been able to really, you know, talk about that transition that I think is just so, so important. And the blueprint comes from really everyone in life has their blueprint, right? They have their design plan of what their life's going to look like and how many times does an architect with a blueprint have to adjust and pivot and make a, you know, make little edits um, in order for things to be successful. And that's truly how my career in life has been of just just making little pivots, little edits, because things just don't go according to plan. No, they do not. Well, I can't wait to order the book and read the book. And I've never done this on a podcast, but today I did a, uh, what's called F5, F to the fifth power. I hosted a live event um, with Sam Rudolph. She is the founder and inventor of the world's smallest and quietest breast pump of all things. Oh, that's uh, awesome. John Smith, who is the uh, inspiration behind the movie Breakthrough. If you've not seen it and you want to watch a movie tonight, watch Breakthrough. Phenomenal. And then Conzo Martin, who's the head coach of Missouri men's basketball team. So those three, and then me, I got to be the guy asking the questions. And so I talk about F to the fifth power, your faith, your family, your firm, what I call, or work, uh, your fitness, and your fun, okay? And I already messed up the thing I've never done before. I was going to have you pick one through five. Pick a number between one through five. Oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, yeah, because I can't remember what you said. Exactly. Anyway. Um, <laughs> let's, do, let's do four. Number four was fitness. So oh, we, that's we know that one. Well, well, perfect, right? So when you hear those five things, your faith, your family, your fitness, or your firm, your fitness, and your fun, what's the most important thing that you can leave people right now? Your average Joe's just like me, your average Sally's just like whoever's listening to this. When you think about fitness, what can you leave us with to be better? Consistency. Mm consistency with, without a doubt. Um, and if I have to cheat, if I can cheat and add one more thing, it's like, you know, finding what you love, even if it's not like the perfect scientific 
thing that you read, right? Like, what are you going to love? That means you're going to do it consistently. Like if you pick something, like I have so many people go like, God, I hate running. I just need to, I just, I got to get myself to like running. Right. Why? Force it. It's not going to happen. So if Zumba and you love dancing and you're moving and that's what you're going to do consistently, consistently do that. So I think um, that's definitely something I've learned. Even after swimming, I had to redefine my fitness routine too. Um, And I do things that I like. And last two questions. And this one, uh, besides Blueprint, what book would you recommend somebody buy because it was impactful in your life? That's a great question. Um, I would say Andre Agassi's Open is a Mm. really, really good one. Um, It's, I just feel like the vulnerability of it really impacted my book, like when I was thinking about how I would do a memoir, that one impacted. Um, and I mean, both of Jesse's books are phenomenal. Living with the monk and living with the seals. Uh, living with the seal was actually really, um, after reading that and then, you know, having seen the lake that everything yeah. happened and seeing this, you know, the sauna, the steam or the steam room, yeah. um, the, like it, it was all just kind of came to life. So yeah. yeah, I mean, his books are so good. Yeah, they are. So final question for you. I steal your cell phone from you right now. Uh, besides email, cause that's boring. What's the one app or one thing off of your phone that I can't delete and why? Instagram. Uh, Instagram. I've been hearing that one a lot. I was going to say TikTok, but I feel like I've been getting super into TikTok during quarantine, but um, Instagram, I just think it's, I I love the, I feel like it's the fastest way to share your message and um, you know, who you are. And then it's also so fun. I feel like, I feel like it's not weird anymore to be like, oh yeah, I saw you did this, this, and this. It's like not stalker anymore. It's just being able to keep up with people you love and admire and yeah. Well, I mean, exactly how we're here right now, right? How did we connect? Yeah. It's not like we know each other. We, I connected with you on Instagram. I sent you a message. You responded. You gave me your team. And next thing you know, here we are. And I've had a blast. And so uh, just thanks so much for being with us. I've learned a lot. I think our listeners will take a ton away from this. Again, Blueprint comes out on uh, Black Friday this year. And where can our listeners also find more of who Katie Hoff is? Yeah. So I'm going to say I post a lot on Instagram. So KT Hawk seven, seven, because lane seven was uh-huh. uh, in 2004. I made the, my first Olympic team from lane seven. That's so all. That's, I actually wondered that. That's awesome. Yeah. And then um, my website, KT as well. So I would okay. say those two places the most. We will put that in the show notes and KT Hoff. Uh, thanks so much for being with us today on the circuit of success. It's been awesome. Yes, thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.